23. Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. Let us, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ and accept, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I have gone to church since I was born. I was born into a Presbyterian church. I have, was baptized in a Presbyterian church. I have gone to church the whole of my life. And there's many things that I love about church. Uh, many of the people who are closest to me today are my church family. My closest relationships are all with people I went to church with. Church is something that can bind us together. But like any family, there are a lot of challenges that come with being in a church. We have growing pains. We get under each other's skin. We think we know better or more than those around us, and it leads to conflicts. It can lead to hurt feelings. It's even led some to leave the church, to never return to church because they've been hurt. And not just that church, but any church. Last week, Paul began by ex exhorting the strong. But really, last week was about the weaker brother weaker brother you don't judge the strong yes he was addressing both but his focus was on the weak today Paul is speaking almost primarily to the strong they cannot abuse the liberty that they have in Christ they cannot use it in such a way that they're going to cause their brother to stumble this stumbling that could lead to spiritual harm. Yes, they have freedom, but they must have freedom that is governed by love. A love that is seeking to build up the body as a whole. So as we come to our text today, as we consider these things, we'll see three points. Warning against hindering. Second, 
exhortation to righteousness, and third, the pursuing of peace. Warnings against hindering exhortations to righteousness and pursuing a peace. We begin by looking at warning against hindering. Uh, Paul begins here by saying, we are no longer to judge. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another. And this is a transition. He's transitioning from what he has just said to what he is about to say. Both of you groups, both the weak and the strong, you are to stop judging. And you are to stop judging because all have been accepted by God and all are answerable to God, not to one another. But he says here, you strong, you cannot be a stumbling block to the weak. This word stumbling block is the Greek word scandalon. Can you think where that might come from in our English today? Scandalon? You think scandal, right? That's where we get that word today. And it literally can be translated, don't be a cause of offense or a cause of ruin. A stumbling block, something that you stumble over and fall on your face. And how might this happen? Clean food might be unclean to the weaker brother. So if I sit here, and just for, for a good example in our modern day times, if you grew up in an alcoholic family and I sit here and preach and I have a little bit of whiskey in my cup, it's water, <laughs> um, that could cause you to stumble. Why is the pastor in the pulpit drinking whiskey? Yes, that may be okay on a completely like, there's nothing biblically wrong here, but there's something more going on. The strong can pressure the weak and it can lead to their ruin. And Paul says, look, nothing, verse 14, I know and am persuaded that nothing is unclean in itself. This word for unclean here can, is also translated as common. He's saying there's nothing common. And he's not saying that there's nothing that isn't sinful, but he's saying there's nothing that, according to the Old Testament law, makes someone defiled anymore. Christ has made all things clean. And so nothing is unclean. But to the one who thinks it makes them unclean, it makes them unclean. It makes them, in reality, unclean. Yes, the Mosaic law is, is gone. And yes, you have freedom from the Mosaic law in, in the sense that it's not binding because Christ has fulfilled it. But not, in the Roman church particularly, not everyone had grasped that truth. They were still holding on to these laws. And for them, it was still sinful. And so caution must be exercised. <laughs> Do not be a scandal. To those in the church. And this is what they were actually doing. They were eating and drinking these uh, food and wine that was used in temple practices. And they were calling their, causing their fellow believers to stumble in sin. And they were violating the Christian virtue of love. <clears throat> they went about with this attitude of superiority. I can do this. I understand that I can do this. And I have my Christian freedom, so don't stop me from ex exercising my Christian freedom. And this may be even pressured or made the weak think they could handle it. Well, if they can do it, I can certainly do it. 
and they may not be ready. And their conscience wouldn't permit it. And it causes them to do what is not of faith. And so Paul issues a direct command here. And notice, he doesn't just say, don't eat, don't do it. That's not how he says it. He says it this way. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do not destroy the one who for, for whom Christ has died. He's saying your behavior, the things you do, will spiritually impact those around you. And it can bring them to spiritual ruin. Do not destroy the one Christ has died for. And he really is putting, putting against one another what you want to do and what Christ has done. Okay, you want to go eat this meat sacrifice to idols. You're well within your right and, and well within uh, being okay of doing that. But what did Christ give up for you? What did Christ give up for you? He gave up all things. Christ did not violate the law in one bit, and yet he became sin for you. He has paid the supreme price. Excuse me. How can the strong refuse to pay the minor price of refraining from eating this meat? Here's the reality. We today can still be a hindrance to one another. And so it means we have to consider the things that we say and the things that we do. We cannot do whatever we want because it's technically allowable. I didn't plan on saying this, and I didn't ask my wife, so hopefully she'll forgive me. <laughs> um, there's something, we, and we've talked about this before. There's, when Luann and I argue, there's something I know I can't do, and that's walk away. If I get upset enough to where I need space, it would, you would think, well, that's allowable. Go cool off. But I know that that affects Luann a certain way. I've abandoned where she is. I've gone somewhere else because I don't want to be where she is. While it's permissible for me to do, it affects and hurts her, so I don't do it. I stay there even when I want to go cool off somewhere else. It would be allowable, but it's not wise for me to do it. As Paul, uh, other, other scripture says, all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. We're allowed to do it, but that doesn't mean we should. I think the closest thing we get to is the issue of drinking alcohol uh, today for this. People have been affected by drinking. My mom will often tell the story of her walking home with my dad from high school. They've been dating since they were in middle school, by the way. Um, did you say ew? Yeah. <laughs> ew. <laughs> you know, Dave and Gingy met when they were in kindergarten. <laughs> so just say ooh to them. <laughs> but they tell a story of walking home. And my, my grandmother, who I never actually met, my, my, my dad's grandmother was an alcoholic. And they came home one day, and the house was cleaned out. She had packed all her stuff in a U-Haul and just left. And alcohol had wrecked that family. It had torn it in two, and 
We know people who are alcoholics and alcohol has wrecked their lives. It's hard for us not to come in contact with someone who that's true for. Or know someone. And there are those who, who, whatever the world wants to say, there's an alcoholic gene, I don't care. There are those who are affected by the fall in such a way that they don't need to drink alcohol because they cannot control themselves. They are to abstain from drinking because drinking for them is a sin. And that doesn't mean that it's a sin in in general. That doesn't mean that I'm saying, hey, you can never drink alcohol ever. I'm not saying that. The Bible never calls drinking a sin. But we cannot rub it in the face of those who have suffered real hurt. Oh, yeah, so your grandmother was an alcoholic. Oh, interesting. And drink my alcohol. That's, we can't do that. I very rarely will drink around anybody but my family. And I do drink. And I'll tell you that. I'll be honest with you. I very, very seldomly drink more than one beer at a time. And even that is very rare. But um, I don't drink out. I don't do it. And the reason I don't do it is because... I don't know, I'm a pastor. People see me, and I'm, I'm a recognizable person as well. I'm very big. I'm very loud. They're, we were at Sam's in Irondale, and someone said to Luann, I was getting in the car, hey, tell your husband I enjoyed his pastor at the, his sermon this one time. We were, I was preaching at Cropwell for the Thanksgiving service. And we're in Irondale. So... I could be at a restaurant in Irondale, and I could be sitting there drinking a beer, and someone can look at me, why is that pastor drinking a beer when they have their hurt that comes with that? The same is true for you. You're a Christian. You, people, hopefully, I hope they know you're Christians, and they see you. I'm not saying don't drink alcohol, but there's a real thing that we are to consider here. It's not worth, my drinking of a beer is not worth losing someone over. For them to go, I cannot believe in this faith because I cannot uh, agree with someone who would engage in such a thing that something that has hurt me so dearly. It's not worth it. And we can't be overly stubborn about things like this. It's not worth destroying what God has died for. Are we willing to give up things, even things that are allowable for us to do for the sake of others? And Paul's saying here, you have to be willing. You have to be willing to give up things. You know, I struggle uh, struggle with sarcasm. And sarcasm, it's it's biting at times. It's funny at times. Louie and I are always quipping back and forth, and it's something that's funny for us. But am I willing to give up my sarcasm to not tear people down? Are we willing to give up things that are allowable, but maybe aren't profitable? Paul goes on. So don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and of peace and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. Freedom from the dietary law is a good thing. And it's a good thing because it, it, it points to what Christ has done. Christ has fulfilled that law. He has been the ultimate realization of what all the Old Testament pointed to. It's a good thing. Paul's never disputing this. But do not allow something that is good be spoken of as evil. I think that if I were to subscribe to a definition of blasphemy, it would be this. Letting someone speak of something that is good as evil. Specifically the work of Christ. Do not let the good work of Christ be spoken of as evil. Do not revile the weak. But keep the right thing in purpose. And the right thing that we're to keep in, in focus is the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's what Christ came to establish in his life, death, and resurrection was the kingdom of God. It is that kingdom into which all of us are brought when we are brought into salvation. And it's there that we are to focus on what is right. Righteousness. Peace. Joy. All of this being found where? In the Holy Spirit. It's as we live the Christian life out, as we are resting and trusting in the Spirit's work in our life, that we are to seek righteousness, peace, and joy. The problem is, they're exercising their freedom from the spiritual law at the expense of this righteousness, at the expense of this peace, and at the expense of this joy. Paul's going to bring drinking up for the first time here. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. But this is not the same issue that we were just talking about. This isn't the issue of whether or not we can drink alcohol. But for them, it was the same issue as the meat. Was this alcohol used in the temple practices? I... It wasn't a question of whether it was okay to drink wine or not. It was a question of whether or not they could use wine that was used in the temple. It was where, where it came from. <clears throat> he says, look, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what it's about. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy. Who cares what you eat and drink? It's not about that. Who cares if you have a beer or if you have water? It's just not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. It's about living rightly in the community of believers. And all of this, all of this comes through our experience together with the Holy Spirit. It's central to kingdom life. The one who serves Christ pleases God and he does this through the working of the spirit but not only this they're esteemed by others this is what it says here whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and is approved by men men will look at you and look at your, your actions and they'll approve them because they're right and they're good 
We should want to focus on the things that are central to the kingdom of God. We must long to satisfy the demands of our master, of our Lord. Our service then must be honoring to God. This is how we meet his approval. Not by being consumed with what we consume. I feel very pleased with that, and it just came to me, so you can laugh. (laughs) One of those moments where you think you're being very clever. But by putting righteousness, peace, and joy ahead of all else. And even the weak will esteem the strong. Are you working towards this end in the church? Are you working towards this end in the lives of one another? Are you putting the needs of others ahead of your own? Remember who you serve. You serve Jesus, God incarnate who lived, died, and rose again. Do not put yourself ahead of the church which he died for, but seek righteousness. Not righteousness that is exactly according to the law for the sake of the law. But that which is right for all of us. I'm going to give you some caveats to that in a second. But we must seek what is right according to Christ. And to each one of us, we have our conscience and we must hold to our conscience. But not only that, we must be cognizant and wary of the conscience of others around us. And as we do this, we must pursue peace. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual of building. Paul's coming into his kind of closing statements here, and he's going to begin to even restate some of what he's already stated. The language is very sim- uh, similar here to the first uh, three or so verses of our section here, both in structure and its, in its content. But we, but we are to pursue those things that make for me peace. We are to maintain attitudes and treat each other in such a way that we create harmony amongst one another. This happens uh, both for individuals in the church, but for the church as a whole. We are to be seeking peace. And Paul really gets forceful here. Do not, again he says, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Do not tear down the work of God. Do not destroy it. They're seeking after a peripheral issue. They are looking at an issue that is not as important, and they're making it a divisive issue. We're going to begin in our Sunday school this morning to look at hermeneutics. And that's part of what happens as we look at hermeneutics and how we interpret Sometimes we wrongly make peripheral issues the main issue, and we cannot do that. It simply doesn't matter. In the grand scheme of the kingdom of God, what you eat and drink, do not cause offense. Do not cause another to stumble, he says in verse 20 again. And this is true for all things. Verse 21, it's good to not eat meat and drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep it to yourself now or between yourself and God. What is Paul not saying here? 
Again, when Paul talks about faith, he's not talking about the ultimate faith. He's not saying, hey, don't tell others about your relationship with Jesus. When he says faith here, he's not talking about that. The context of this shows us it's the same thing as last week. He's not saying, hide your faith from the world. No, he's saying the practical ways in which you live out your faith in how you eat and how you drink, that's between you and God. This is not, hey, Jesus came, he died for me on the cross, and he's not saying don't tell people about that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, avoid those things that are secondary issues. While they may be done with a clear conscience as part of your faith, avoid these things. Be content with the blessing God has given you without feeling it necessary to flaunt it over your fellow believers. The weak Christian is one who may have doubts. Thank you. They may think that their faith is strong enough. They may think that, well, I can... Not follow this law as well, but in the reality, it will crush them. And this will bring condemnation. If you eat when you don't have faith to eat, then it is sin. You cannot do what you believe it is not right to do. Now, I remember growing up, and there was any number of weird things I would hear sometimes. There were people who would believe things like, I remember I had someone in our church, and it was someone my age. My parents say it's a sin to listen to anything except for Christian and classical music. Okay. I I mean, I think that's ridiculous, right? But at the same time, that's what they believed. And it was not within their conscience. So I wouldn't say, hey, let's get in the car and go, and then I'm going to blare the whatever radio station. That would be wrong for me to do. Is it okay for me to listen to whatever 106.9 classic rock station. It may be permissible, but it may it not mean it's good for them. And maybe some of it's not really good for me either. <clears throat> but you get my point. We have to be considerate. The strong, I, I, I can be content in knowing that I can listen to certain music and not feel like I have to flaunt it over them. Because their faith isn't strong enough. If it is against their conscience, then it is sin. And it, it may be something, even, it could be ridiculous, you know? There's any number of ridiculous things out there, but if they believe it to be sin, and it's not one of those things that's like affecting the truth of the gospel, then they need to refrain from doing it before, until they can come to a correct understanding. This is what he says here. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If it doesn't proceed from faith, then it's sin. If we don't have faith to do something, then it's sin. Again, faith not being the ultimate salvation here, but how we live that out. The strong cannot force the weak to eat or drink. Or to ignore Sabbath or whatever it may be, if it is against their conscience. 
So the question is this. Are we seeking after peace? Are we seeking after peace in the church? Or are we being a stumbling block, a scandal on for others? We must be, we are required to be agents of peace. That means we must be concerned not only with our own peace, but with the peace of others. We must be sensitive and cognizant of the consciences of other, others. We must be carefully, lovingly considering those who Christ has loved so that we don't become the ruin of them. The question is this, what is it worth to you? Is eating and drinking and listening to certain kinds of music or doing certain things so important to you that it's worth losing someone for Christ? Not the things essential to faith. That's not what he's talking about. But there's so much outside of the essentials of faith that fall, for lack of a better word, into those things that are preferences. I don't think it's merely preference because I think it's also conviction. But they're not things that we can say, look, if you believe it's wrong to drink alcohol, then don't drink alcohol. And that's okay. And I can say, well, I don't agree with that. And I think it's okay for us to have those conversations in the right context. But we have to encourage those. If it's a sin to you, put it aside. And if it's sin to you, then I need to make sure that I bring it nowhere near you. Because we have to pursue peace. We cannot be a, a hindrance. We have to consider those around us. We must be building up the church. We must be seeking righteousness, peace, and joy in all that we do. In our own lives and in the lives of others. Seeking peace, knowing that God is a God of peace. That he has come and made perfect peace between himself and us. Therefore, let us not be those who disrupt that peace. We must take down the barriers that we have placed between us and others and us and God. Paul is continuing to answer that question. How do we not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the image of God after the, to the Son of God? And we do this not by lording our faith, our things that we can do are Christian liberties and freedoms over others. We do this by pursuing peace. And we find this peace, this joy, this righteousness only, only in the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, would we consider ourselves and those around us and would we seek peace? Peace in Christ, peace with one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a topic that is hard because there's so many things that it can reach out into. How we do life around this church, how we organize the kitchen, to how we organize our, the library bookshelves, to the colors of the walls, to everything else that is involved in the life of the church. And we all have things that we would do. And we would all do it things a certain way, and we hold those as the truth. 
But Lord, would they not become a stumbling block? Would they not be the thing that causes disunity and the lack of peace in the church? Would we understand that you are the center of all that we do and you have made all things new? Would you help us to find righteousness, joy, and peace both with you and with one another? We ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen.